Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I am joined on the other line by the future founder of BuzzCoin, Barry Jackson, our <laughs> columnist here at the Miami Herald. Barry, have you made your FTX account yet? I love it. I'm working on that. I need to have a better intro, David Wilson. That's an all-time intro. <laughs> I really don't understand what FTX is, but I'm not in the crypto game. So um, all I know is it's the sponsor from the Heat's Arena now. Yeah, and, and you, in fact, I, I I must tell people right before we start, you have the Twitter line of the year when you said that Lone Depot uh, reminds you of a bowl game that exists for only one year <laughs> Between what, a, a whack team and a Sunbelt team? Yeah, something like the Sunbelt and Mac, maybe. Um, it reminds me, wasn't the, um, there was a Bitcoin bowl at one point, wasn't there? I believe so. I think maybe one of the Tampa bowls, like the Gasparilla bowl, the, the bad boy mowers Gasparilla bowl, I feel like was the Bitcoin bowl, maybe. Right. All right. Uh, so we got a lot to dive into this week, actually. Um, Pat Riley talked last week. We haven't recorded since then. Uh, Anthony is off this week. So Barry, first of all, thanks for uh, thanks for doing it this week. Um, and you wrote it's, a good-, it's good to be with you. And, and we're heading into what should be a very interesting summer. And Brooklyn has set the bar so high. You wonder if there's anything that he could possibly do this summer that could even get them in the same stratosphere as the Nets. Just watching how dominant they've been against Milwaukee, even without Harden. Yeah. Yeah. That is the, that it's, it was kind of the elephant in the room all year long to me. It was like, there was always just the possibility that Brooklyn was going to be like the next warriors, basically. Like they have that level of talent, obviously. And uh, it definitely threw two games of that series. I guess it's game three tonight probably as a recording. Um, so maybe the bucks get one tonight, but, but through two games, at least it has uh, looked like Brooklyn is on a, a different level than pretty much everyone else. Um, you also wrote a good uh, two-part series. I think both parts will be out probably by the time most people are listening to this uh, as to all the different paths that he could take this offseason to try to catch up to Brooklyn. Uh, you didn't phrase it as such, but I think that's, as we said, that's the elephant in the room right now. Um, let's start with uh, Pat Riley's press conference from last week, though. Uh, I wasn't on it. You and uh, you and Anthony were both in there. Um, to me, as an outsider, the kind of interesting thing you know obviously there was, there was a lot of different angles and I've got a couple of things written out here but what I think to a lot of people one of the the money quotes there was that referring to Tyler Hero as a core player um I guess first of all what is that kind of what stood out most to you what stood out most to you and, and what did you make of that comment specifically yeah with the hero thing I didn't put a lot of stock into it because if they have an opportunity to trade for a really good player this offseason, if Bam is indeed off limits and Butler obviously as well, then Hero would be the most marketable piece, the best asset you have. So I think it can be true that Pat Riley believes Tyler Hero improved in parts of his game, especially with creating his own shot. That's certainly true. I think he improved in most areas aside from a regression in three-point shooting, which dropped two and a half percentage points. So I think that can be true, but it also can be true that the Heat would be willing to move him in a deal if they can get an all-star caliber player. Heck, you, you'd have to because Hero is nowhere near that level yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, stood out to me, David, most from Pat's comments was the fact that he said at some point, quote, somewhere you have to make a decision on the two or three players that you think are your franchise anchors, other players around them who can complement them. I don't think you can continue to defer your salary cap room or your flexibility down the road. Now, to me, this was notable because I think a strong case could be made to sign players on one-year deals this offseason and then make another attempt in free agency 
12 months from now. Because remember, in 2022, that summer, Irving, uh, speaking obviously of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, all can become free agents that summer. Uh, Steph Curry can, although the odds of him coming to the Heat, obviously, are extremely slim. Bradley Beal can. The Heat, as you know, has always been interested in him. And I've been told that the Heat would have appeal to Beal if he decides to leave Washington. So uh, to me, it would be very reasonable to just get by another year with guys on one-year contracts, knowing you're probably not going to be able to challenge Brooklyn and then be able to save cap space for 2022. Now, I should point out that if you give Duncan Robinson a lucrative deal this offseason, even though his cap number would be very low next season, only $4.7 million and potentially less, you would have his full salary reflected on the cap the following year. So what that means is if you have Butler, Bam, and Robinson under contract, you probably are not going to have room for a max player in 2022. So if you get one that year, then you'd have to trade uh, Duncan Robinson in all likelihood. Uh, so the fact that Riley said that you can't wait around forever and you need to decide your players says to me that he's not necessarily thinking of, okay, let's punt on next season and wait till 2022. Yeah, I wonder if they're feeling a little burned from because this is the same plan. We've been talking about this, it feels like for like two, three years, right? That the plan was the 2021 offseason and then everyone signs their extensions and you keep putting it off. Part of me wonders if they feel a little bit burned by that. And there is also the fact that, um, I mean, really, the Heat's biggest acquisitions have always been by trade, even if it's like a sign and trade kind of thing, right? Like, but obviously, Jimmy, um, you know, technically, I guess the those the LeBron Bosch deals. Uh, 10 years ago, we're, we're signing trades. Um, so the free, it's great to wait on the free agency, but the trade avenue always kind of remains available, right? I think it, obviously it's important to keep flexibility, but I don't think it's, I, I kind of get where they're coming from, where it's like, we can't just wait because what, you know, so much changes in a year in the NBA, obviously. Um, I think you just always kind of have to be ready to pounce. Like it feels almost more likely that, Beal will get traded rather than ever hit free agency. And right, exactly. I had two other things also that struck me, David, from Riley's press conference. One was the fact that he was noncommittal about Oladipo, said, you yeah. know, obviously he'll begin his rehab and then we'll talk in August. And to me, if they had strong interest in keeping him long term, I think there would have been something stronger from Riley. And if the Heat walks away, you certainly can't blame them. I mean, he's a player who we don't know will even be able to play perhaps before January or February. I know the expectation in the Oladipo camp is that he should be able to play by early next year, January, early February at the latest, potentially December. Uh, his doctor uh, told ESPN uh, that he should be ready for basketball activity uh, in November, but obviously it would take a couple months to ramp up. So that was one thing. And then the other thing from Riley that stood out to me was uh, a couple of us on the call pressed him on Spolstra's proclivity, his preference for playing a stretch big alongside Bam. You can certainly yeah, understand. This is the next thing I had I mean, kind of mentioned. The whole Bam out of bio conversation seemed really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And you can justify Spo's position uh, because of a couple things. One, in this modern NBA game, you definitely need three-point shooters to space the floor. So I get Spolster's decision to always have a three-point shooting big next to Bam. You also can look at the numbers uh, for the Heat the last three years when they played two natural bigs next to each other, neither of whom has a three-point game. 
Spolster played Adebayo 66 minutes with Whiteside, 13 minutes with Achua, and the Heat was outscored by more than 40 points uh, in those combined 79 minutes. So when Spolster has done this, and it's been sparingly when he has, the results have not been good. So we basically asked Riley, does Spolster need to adjust his thinking on this? Must he become more comfortable with playing two bigs together? And Riley said, yes, there's certainly possibility of that. He's going to talk to Spolster about it. He basically said it's ultimately his call, but he said the bottom line is if the impact of that pairing doesn't equal winning and you're not winning at a high level, then that's something you have to think about. And whether the Heat this year won at a high level, right? I mean, it's crazy. Questionable. Uh, now, the, the other issue on this, David, is, and I asked Pat this directly, I said, in order to increase the menu of free agent and trade options you have available to you among bigs, does Bam Adebayo need to develop a three-point game immediately? Because then, if he did that, and if Spolster remains adamant about playing a stretch big with Bam, then it opens up a dozen other uh, potential big options for you this summer, such as Andre Drummond. If Bam can't shoot threes, there's no way Spolstra is going to pair Andre Drummond, just as a hypothetical, with Bam. But if Bam suddenly can become at least a decent three-point shooter, and remember, in his pre-draft workout, he hit 66 of 100 open threes for the Heat. If he can do that, then you could comfortably pursue a player like Drummond, who would improve your rebounding and know that you'd have someone in Bam who could shoot threes. Riley's answer to that was, no, I don't think he needs to do it immediately but he didn't rule out the possibility of Bam adding uh, a, a three-point game at some point. You you fall where on that issue as far as Spo playing a stretch big with Bam, David, and whether perhaps he should be more flexible on that? Yeah, I think the flexibility clearly, like, works, right? Like, there were, you know, we saw a little bit of the Deadman-Bam thing, and it, you know, was pretty interesting. And it's not like Dwayne Deadman, like, he's a minimum player, basically. Like, if you put a you know, a guy who's on like a $10 million, like $8 million deal or whatever, like, you know, just like a exception level guy rather than a minimum guy, you know, maybe it works even better. Um, I think the thing that I like about playing the two bigs and it, you know, they, they like playing the stretch big, but having Bam at the four where he, you know, he is at his best defensively. It's not a secret when he's like not a rim protector, he's a fine rim protector, but he's much better as a guy who can kind of rove around and, and guard guys like Giannis or, or guard like attacking fours. And I think defensively, we see a lot of good things when he can play the four offensively. Obviously that's the big question. It's something that you know, Anthony and I've talked about a lot throughout the year is the heater in such an, there's such a unique team in that their two best players are non-shooters. There's n- basically no teams like that right now in the NBA that are certainly not any that are, uh, you know, contenders or want to be contenders. Um, and I think that is where it's, it's always going to be come down to the offense. And, you know, I think like a guy, like, obviously in like an ideal scenario, you'd have a guy who could stretch the floor and protect the rim on the other end and let Bam rove around. But there's just not a whole lot of guys like that, especially uh, because Chris Porzingis is not the player that he looked like he was going to be like two or three years ago. Right. And, you know, with Bam also, David, two other interesting things that Riley said that we should mention. One is the fact that he brought up and this was pretty unsolicited. He said, I think Spo has to evaluate a little bit how he uses Bam. Bam is one of our 
primary ball handlers and gets us into offense. And sometimes there is a disconnect between running offense and really being effective as an offensive player. So I thought that was interesting. Perhaps it might be in the Heat's best interest if Bam has fewer ball handling responsibilities. So maybe he can post up, maybe develop a go-to move in the post uh, and perhaps become more of a threat from three-point range. And then I guess one of the other news nuggets to come away from the press conference was Riley admitting, and uh, and we should note he didn't volunteer this. He was asked about this. Riley admitted that the Heat did make the case to Bam last November for waiting mm-hmm. on his extension, which if he had done, it would have saved the Heat 13 million cap space this summer. So instead of having 21 to 28 million cap space this summer, they could have had 40 or 41 million, which would have given them enough for a max contract to a veteran uh, who has the most years of experience like Kawhi Leonard, even though I know we both think it's a, a very much a long shot that Kawhi would come here. Uh, so Riley said that we presented all of these facts to both Bam and his agent, Alex Taratsis, and Riley did not seem resentful that Bam wanted his money right away. And certainly I don't think Heat fans can resent it because most players, the quality of Bam are getting max deals before for agency a year before. Uh, But this was the first time that Riley said, yes, we gave him that option. Quote, we try to convince them that this could be different. But at the end of the day, this is what the man deserved. Now, I've heard some fans in the wake of the playoff series saying, did the Heat make a mistake giving Bam Max money? And to me, the unequivocal answer to that is no. And for two reasons. One, you cannot allow the playoff series to skew your perception of what he is. This is a guy who averages 19, nine, six assists. I was going to say for a guy who averages 19, nine, six as a center, like it's at 23 years old, the level of scrutiny around Bam right now is like kind of astonishing. And something like, yeah, it feels like the perception down here in South Florida of him compared to like the perception of, and I'm not saying the heat perception, I'm saying just kind of like the, the Twitterati perception and fan perception compared to like what national people kind of think of him is like, you know, I think everyone likes Bam down here, obviously appreciates him. He was a huge part of a team that went to the finals and he's 23 and everyone still agrees. He's like a core player, but like the way that some like Nat, uh, like national writers and national media perceive of Bam is at such a high level. Right. And, and here's reason too, David, I want to get your thoughts on, on one thing about this in a second. Reason number two is if you hadn't extended him, someone would have given him a max offer this summer. And then the heat was going to match. You were not going to let an asset walk away for nothing. Right. And and if you hadn't signed him, say you didn't match, then you're left with cap space, but no ability to get a player anywhere comparable to bam. So mm-hmm. having him as an asset under contract likely is a piece long-term or as someone potentially to trade, if an all NBA player becomes available, that is so much better than the alternative of not having him. Now, as long as we're on this topic, I want to ask you something, which uh, this would be a good water cooler discussion around South Florida offices. Uh, what player who could conceivably become available this offseason would you consider including BAM in a package for? To me, there are two, Lillard and Beal, and you could make the case to include Bam in either, but you could also make the case not to. With Beal, for example, he's only a year from free agency. Mm-hmm. 
why give up a player of this caliber for a guy you could get in a year? And also, why would Beal want to come to the Heat if his buddy Bam isn't on it? So I think those two guys, you, you, you could make the case for including Bam, although I think it's unlikely. Uh, you would fall where on this? Is there anyone realistically who could become available? And remember, Lillard is not available yet. He'd have to ask for a trade. We have no idea if that will happen. But is there anyone you would think of including Bam for? Yeah, I, don't, I would not do it for Beal because, um, I don't know, like how much closer does a Jimmy Beal combo get you than a Jimmy Bam combo? Like to me, it's right. Beal's probably better than Bam right now, but it's not a huge difference, I don't think. And Bam is quite, a, you know, a couple years younger. And by the time Bam's 24, he could be the best center in the league or number two center in the league. He's probably not going to pass Embiid or Jokic or whatever, but like he's going to be, if he, you know, I, I don't, I think the three point thing is coming for him, maybe not next year, but at some point, and that's going to make him a really, really good offensive player. Um, with Lillard, I think you'd really have to think about it because I mean, Lillard is what a top six, seven, eight guy in the league. And, you know, Lillard, you get him, you pair him with Jimmy, who is, you know, I think proved in the playoffs last year that he, you know, and obviously it was not a good postseason for him this year, but when he is at his best, he's a top 10 guy. He's, you know, going to be what second team, third team, all NBA. You pair two guys like that, then, you know, may again, Brooklyn remains the elephant in the room because if they run through the playoffs and look like the Warriors of four years ago, is there, are you catching up to them with whatever you do? Maybe not. But um, I think, you know, Lillard is such a clear upgrade over Bam. No disrespect to Bam. Uh, all, dis- all respect to Lillard. Uh, you would have to, I think, really consider that. Right. Now, with Lillard, he was asked yesterday, or uh, since uh, people will hear this on Thursday and Friday, uh, he was asked earlier this week uh, by the Athletics Blazers writer, Jason Quick, if he still remains committed to Portland does he want to be here? And he texted back saying that he had no comment on anything at this time. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll see if he does in fact ask for a trade, I guess the heat conceivably, and this remember purely a hypothetical, there's no indication that they're considering trading BAM for anybody, but purely as a fun hypothetical, you could offer BAM. You could see if Portland would have interest in restricted free agent, Kendrick Nunn, who could be included in a sign and trade. Right. So you could offer those two, perhaps a draft pick, would be involved, although the Heat at the moment has no draft pick to trade. So then purely hypothetically, you could have a lineup of Butler, Lillard, Duncan Robinson, and two bigs who you'd have to probably go to bigs or us, right? Toys or us, some store to find two bigs off the street, uh, maybe an Andre Drummond, and then you could find, you know, a stretch four. You'd still have your mid-level exception of $9.5 million to find a couple of bigs. So the question would be, and again, this is an unlikely hypothetical, but it's fun to talk about. The question would be is would that lineup say uh, some stretch big in the uh, Bielitsa mold and Andre Drummond and Lillard and Butler and Robinson, would that be better than what you have now? Yeah, that's, that's the dilemma that they face. And it's obviously, you know, the, the, the fact that Bam is not anywhere near a finished product yet is the other part of that dilemma where it's, you know, for, again, for a Lillard guy, for a Lillard type player, I think you would do that deal. You would be yes. a hard debate, but I think you would do it because again, I think 
you pair Lillard and Jimmy, that is the best one-two punch in the East outside of Brooklyn. Um, right. But for a guy like Beal, like, I, I don't, I think it becomes a little trickier there where, you know, it might still be the best one-two punch in the East outside of Brooklyn, but the gap is still pretty wide, I think, at that point. Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, loyal reader David uh, uh, sent me an email last week saying he would advocate BAM for Jalen Brown. I would not. Jalen yeah. Brown is a terrific player. But to me, yeah, if you're going to consider moving BAM, you have to draw the line at an all-NBA player. And Jalen Brown, while really good, is not that yet. All right, uh, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we will come back and uh, dive into, I guess, let's say some more realistic uh, off-season options. All right, uh, Barry, you have a couple articles out this week. Uh, Like I said, I think both will be up up probably by the time most people are listening to this. Um, Diving into the two paths for the Heat this off-season. One, if they operate as a room team. One, if they operate as a capped out team. Um, let's start. You wrote the room team one first. That is up on uh, Wednesday. So you can check that out at MiamiHerald.com. Uh, so let, let's do that one first because you uh, went with it first. Um, and the big takeaway there, you know, they can get to about $27.5 in cap relatively easily. You'd have to renounce uh, some guys and, and let some important guys go. But that obviously not enough room to – get you, as you mentioned, a, a Max guy, a Kawhi Leonard, or whatever other surprise disgruntled superstar winds up on the uh, free agency, uh, available in free agency. But it does give you easily kind of, or pretty close to easily enough room to get a guy like Kyle Lowry. Um, to me, the the debate, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with the, the who would you trade BAM for? It's does Kyle Lowry get you close enough? Um, what are kind of the, the, you, you probably could just break it down better. What are the different paths this team could take and where do you kind of come down on, on what kind of makes most sense if they operate as a, a room team? Sure. Well, if they operate as a room team, as you mentioned, they could get to 27 and a half million in space. If they renounce none, they could get to 28, but it could also be as low as 20 million right. and not to get in the weeds on this, but basically you have the opportunity to have Duncan and Kendrick on your books if you keep them at 4.7 million if they stay restricted free agents. But if the Heat goes to them and says to you, uh, says to both of them, we're not going to make you a qualifying offer. We're not going to make you restricted free agents. Instead, we're going to make you unrestricted free agents, but you have to promise us you're going to resign with us. In that scenario, their cap numbers would go from 4.7 to 1.7 on the Heat's books next year. So mm-hmm. that would be the scenario where the heat could have as much as 28 million in space. Now there is a risk in that because remember, if you have Duncan as a restricted free agent at 4.7 million on your books, the heat can match any offer. But if you go to him and his agent and say, we're going to make you unrestricted, even if he says, I think I want to stay, he always would have the ability right. to change his mind. So that, that, that's sort of a brief synopsis of why people are seeing cap numbers that are so different, 21 to 27 million. That's the big issue because there's a $6 million swing in Nunn and Robinson's cap numbers on the Heat's books next year, depending on whether they're restricted or unrestricted. Now, if you have space, David, I think it's likely the Heat would try to sign Kyle Lowry with that space. Uh, People around the league know that Lowry has interest in the Heat. Butler and Lowry, of course, are very close 
The Heat has interest in Lowry. They tried to get him before the trade deadline, even though they weren't willing to offer Hero. I guess at his age, uh, you know, there would be a question about health. That would be the concern. And at some point, the skills conceivably could decline. But he's still a really good player. He would certainly upgrade them to a level that would be close, I think, to Milwaukee, if not on par with them, close or on par with Philadelphia. So Lowry using cap space would be clearly the leader in the clubhouse uh, for Miami if they do indeed use cap space. Here's the problem, though, with using cap space. If you operate as a room team instead of operating as an over-the-cap team, then your mid-level exception is only $4.9 million, not $9.5 million. If you operate over the cap, you have the $9.5 million. So the question then is, what could $4.9 million get you? You would be sitting there with a gaping hole at power forward, and I'm not sure what that amount of money, the four point nine, million, could get them. I mean, uh, Bobby Portis, who's one of the better free agent fours in this class, is going to get more than four point nine. million. You could maybe try to get a past your prime big like a Blake Griffin, who's had his moments in this playoff series, uh, a Paul Millsap who's declining, a Rudy Gay who's declining, a P.J. Tucker who's been not particularly effective in this Brooklyn-Milwaukee series, maybe like a Trey Lyles, a Mike Muscala. But the point is you're not going to be able to find a really good four if all you have is the 4.9 million exception after using all your cap space on Lowry, I, I would throw in uh, Jeff green as one more option. He lives in Miami. He's played well for the nets this year. Very good three point shooter, but he's 34 and not a great rebounder. And then one last point on using room would be this. Not only is your exception smaller, the 4.9, but if you use room, you don't have the 3.6 biannual exception and you cannot go over the cap to re-sign Oladipo or Dragic. So you're likely going to part with both of those players if you sign Lowry using cap space. So that would be the cap space scenario where you could sign Lowry without giving up an asset, just sign him into cap space, but then you're sitting there really without a great ability to re-sign Dragic or Oladipo and with only $4.9 million to address power forward, which obviously is a gaping hole. Does this avenue appeal to you at all? Not really. Okay, why? I, I just don't think Lowry gets you there. I mean, he's mm-hmm. obviously, what, only – what year did they win the title? Two years ago? Two, the time has all, like, stopped yeah. for me. But not that long ago, he was the second-best player on a championship team, and now he is the first – co-first, second-best player on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Like, I, I just don't know how where he gets you. I, I, I agree with you that he probably gets you in that into the Philly Milwaukee conversation. I, I still don't know if he puts you over the top. I, it's to me, it's kind of hard to judge what this playoff series really told us about um, how the heat stacks up with Milwaukee. Obviously Milwaukee is like a lot better, but I, I don't think the gap is three blowouts in one close game probably. But again, the, the Brooklyn elephant in the room and, uh, you know, I think the West, obviously, you know, there's a lot of good teams there. It's hard to worry too much just about one or two teams, especially a team with Brooklyn with three, uh, I guess we could say maybe volatile personalities where, you know, that could always come apart at any point. But I don't know. I just think, I don't know how much adding a 
old Kyle Lowry and like you said, losing guys like Victor Oladipo or, or John, you know, you're going to lose some important guys. I don't know how much closer Lowry gets you. I, I think you'd be better with him, but I don't know how much better you get just by adding him. And that's right. really and the dilemma. Exactly. And with cap space, he's really the only realistic option. If yeah. you're going to figure out 25 to 27 million, you're not signing DeMar DeRozan because you can't have a third player on the floor who doesn't shoot threes. You're yeah. probably not signing Spencer Dinwiddie, who was on the cusp of being an all-star for the Nets before his injury because he's a career 31% three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. So those two guys wouldn't make sense. There's no big that's worth 25 million in cap space on the market. Uh, I mean, you, you know, there are interesting names, Andre Drummond, Montrez Harrell, yeah. uh, Cantor wouldn't be a good fit here because he can't defend, even though he gives you volume points and rebounds. Uh, Otto Porter would be a name. Kelly Oubre. Those are all kind of guys you'd like to have in that 9 million exception. Exactly <laughs> right. These are not guys you're going to give cap space, 25 million cap space to on a multi-year deal. Yeah. So if you use cap space, the only option really uh, is Lowry. I guess uh, Norman Powell, David would be the one yeah. other interesting name. But again, do you want to commit four years and 80 to Norman Powell when he doesn't help solve your problem at power forward? And he's probably not going to bring you, you know, above or put you above Milwaukee or Philadelphia. So to me, if you use cap space, Lowry is the option. Now, the other alternative, which you mentioned, is operating as an over the cap team. Mm -hmm. Just to tell our listeners how that works, it would be this. You would keep Dragic uh, and his uh, cap hold on your books. You could do the same with Iguodala if you want. So you would be declining the team options for Dragic at 19.4 million and for Iggy at 15 million, but you would retain their bird rights. You also would retain the bird rights for Oladipo, which as our listeners know, if you retain a player's bird rights, you can go over the cap to sign them. So in this scenario, you would have no cap space, but you could re-sign Oladipo, Dragic, uh, Trevor Ariza, if you want, for basically whatever the Heat wants. And then the way to augment your roster would be twofold. You'd have the 9.5 million mid-level exception, which could get you a quality player like a Bobby Portis, and you'd be able to pursue players through sign and trades. But the obstacle with this would be Say Toronto and the Heat discuss a sign and trade for Lowry, and Toronto says, no, no, we would only do this if you give us Tyler Hero, or if you give us Duncan Robinson as part of a sign and trade with Robinson, since he's going to be a restricted free agent. I don't see the Heat doing that. They didn't have interest yeah. in doing it, according to Pat Riley, uh, a couple of months ago. So why would they do that now? So then the question becomes, if Kyle Lowry tells the Raptors on August 1st or 2nd that he wants to come to the Heat, but needs to be done in a sign and trade, work it out with Miami, there would be a very narrow path to do it if the Heat doesn't give up Hero or Robinson. So what we'd be looking at, David, would be you would need the Raptors to have interest in Kendrick Nunn as part of another sign and trade. This could mm -hmm. all be one trade. Be willing to pay Nunn maybe about $15 million a year, you throw in a Chua and Okpala and maybe you're at seven for cap reasons to try to even out the salaries if you give Lowry $25 million. The other option would be you pick up the $19 million option on Dragic and you trade him to Toronto with another small asset, maybe a Chua or Okpala for Lowry. 
Uh, and that would get Lowry here. But then the question is, why would Toronto want Dragic at 20 million on their books just to do Lowry in the heat of favor? So if Kyle Lowry is the guy, and again, he'd be the betting line favorite for the Heat's big acquisition this yeah. summer. The question is, how do you do a sign and trade that leaves Toronto satisfied if Hero and Robinson are not in it? And again, I don't expect Hero or Robinson to be in it. So I don't know. Is that And, and I know, as you said, David, Lowry doesn't appeal to you. But if you do operate over the cap, what would appeal to you with sign and trades or with that 9.5 million exception? Yeah, I think to me, the reason I kind of lean toward the cap operating capped out is um, because I think you got to get to keep just like a larger volume of assets, basically. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, while I wouldn't trade Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson for Kyle Lowry, I would trade them for Bradley Beal or whatever. You know, I think just stockpiling assets right now to make that next move for that next disgruntled superstar, whether it's Beal, you know, I don't, I don't know if that would be a kind of deal that would let you get a guy like Lillard or, you know, there's always going to be someone who pops up Carl uh, Anthony towns. Could he be nine months away from wanting out of Minnesota or whatever? Um, you've mentioned, uh, you mentioned in some of your articles, John Collins is a potential sign and trade target from Atlanta. Um, right. Which, which to me would seem a long shot. And, and, you know, there's a serious question about whether he's a max player. He wasn't yeah. especially good in game two. Uh, of the Hawks 76er series. And also Atlanta would match an offer. So if they decided they wanted John Collins and the Hawks for whatever reason decided they didn't want him, that would probably be done in a sign and trade. But as far as restricted guys, as you mentioned, Collins is the best restricted free agent. Laurie Markkinen would obviously give you a stretch big as a restricted free agent, but his lack of defense, I think would, you know, not be a good fit here. And then there's Lonzo ball, but I'd be surprised if the heat went in that direction. Yeah. I'm just saying like, a, a star or potential star, which I think Collins would still kind of qualify as like, I think you just operating cap that gives you those assets and lets you keep that flexibility to get the next guy um, who's available. And I know I'm kind of contradicting myself where at the top, I was like, are they tired of waiting around um, after they kind of did the same thing in 21 and it, it didn't pan out the way I think that he'd expected. But again, to me, just like, I don't think Kyle Lowry gets you to that level. Now, of course, you know, we're talking about these two options and uh, the heat obviously have not kind of made a decision yet. There's the playoffs still aren't even over, Um, but it's kind of got to be what determines it, right? Like if they decide they want Lowry, they'll probably operate as a room team. If they decide they don't want him, then it kind of just makes more sense to keep all these guys and right to the next. Or yeah. One thing they also could do is you could see, uh, the Heat call Toronto in July and say, if Lowry wants to come here, what would be the parameters of a sign and trade that would be acceptable to you? Right. Now, this is dicey because obviously Lowry's not allowed to talk to the Heat or the 76ers or any other team until August 2nd. But I think there's still a way to have that conversation because it's important for the Heat to know whether it can work out a sign and trade for Lowry or whether it needs to clear all its free agents mm-hmm. off cap and sign Lowry using space. So it's important that the heat knows before August 1st, whether Toronto would have interest in taking on Dragic's 19.4 million salary or uh, Iguodala's 15 million as part of a sign and trade. And the reason it's important that the heat knows that in July is because the team options on both of those players, Iggy at 15 million, Dragic at 19.4 million must be made by August 1st. So the Heat 
cannot be in a position where they pick up the option for either player thinking that they're going to use their salaries in a trade for Lowry. And then Toronto says, no, I don't think we're interested because then the heat's totally screwed. So this is the sort of dicey, awkward, tricky conversations you have to have with Toronto in July. If you think you have a chance of getting Kyle Lowry, which again, to me is a likely scenario because of the mutual interest on both sides. Now, I want to ask you this, David. There are a few diminished assets out there. Kevin Love's been out there for three years. Al Horford is going to be... You, in, in your first article, you mentioned about 287 players as a like, <laughs> exactly. exception type of guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, as far as diminished assets, those two guys and maybe Porzingis, do any of those names appeal to you if you can get them for very little in return, knowing that all of them are super expensive and have multi-years left on their deal. Who were those first two guys again? You said uh, yeah, Love, Kevin Love Al Horford. Oh, Horford, right. Porzingis. Um, Porzingis, I know, has been, like, awful, but he's still kind of, I don't know. Like, it's not that long ago, and obviously it's a lot of injuries ago, as, as I think the – honestly the bigger concern there but it's not so long ago that we thought this guy was like a perennial at least a perennial all-star he's still only 25 he is kind of you know I, I kind of met, I mentioned him earlier on when I was talking about like in a lot of ways he's like the the idea of Porzingis fits really well next to Bam where he is a stretch big on one end and at one point he looked like he could be a real rim protector on the other end and you know I know he just has not been that um basically since he got to Dallas two years ago but to me he's like the the out of those three you meant like Kevin Love just I don't know he's he's kind of done to me like he's maybe he can be like what Blake Griffin is for this Nets team right now like your fifth starter basically or a guy right. who's your fifth guy in crunch time and make a open three or whatever um Horford I, I think is worth thinking about but Porzingis to me just because of his age um, his skill set or his theoretical skill set and, um, you know, his, he's been an all-star before. I know those other two guys have, but like, I don't know, to me, the, the age and the skill set and the, the remaining upside, like I'm not, I'm not totally giving up on a 25 year old who has been an all-star before, who was a top five pick. Um, and you know, who, has been basically like a 40, he was shot 37.6% from three this year. Pretty good for a seven foot three guy. I know the injuries like might just be crippling and we're never going to see him anything close to what he was that last season in New York. But, um, you know, that's still not super long ago. And I think if there's no other moves, like, and you can get him on a small deal, obviously, like you don't want him to tie up everything and that's your one move for the rest of eternity with this group. But um, I think the risk, there might be enough reward there for it be, to be worth the risk. Yeah. I, I think along the, the lines that you do, I would add a couple of things. Horford, even though he's in his mid thirties, he still puts up numbers. He can still hit threes. He's still a much better rebounder than yeah, anyone. I think just throw out this year. Yes. Horford. Yeah, exactly. So to me, I would consider Horford under these circumstances. If all it took to take on the last two years of his contract would be trading the Drogic or the Iguodala contracts and 
if OKC was willing to give you back your 2023 first round pick that they own in exchange for the Heat giving OKC their pick in 2028, right? If the Heat gave OKC Miami's first rounder in 2028, that would open up all sorts of trade opportunities for the Heat with their first round picks that they don't have that at this point. So if OKC agreed to do that, I would strongly consider Horford because he upgrades you at four despite his age and you'd be getting back your 2023 number one, meaning you could then trade multiple first round picks. If a Bradley Beal becomes available Porzingis to me, as you said, really intriguing, only 25. The issue is the knee. Not only has it been surgically repaired uh, with the uh, ACL tear, but he also played in only 43 games this year because Mm -hmm. of discomfort and other issues. Uh, So the question there is, is it worth a hundred million dollars over the next three years Uh, he's got a little over 100 million left on this contract for a player that you might have only half the time and the other question is what does dallas do with him do they regard him as a depressed asset like cleveland would with love or okc would with horford and just give him away for the sole purpose of creating cap space to pursue a free agent in 2022 or would the mavericks say no no He's still an asset. We're not just giving him away. If you give us a good player for Porzingis, then we'll trade him to you. I don't think the Heat would consider that. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't part with Hero for him, for example. Right, exactly, exactly. But if the Mavericks decide to just give him away, you certainly have to look at it and just hope that for $101 million, you're getting a player who can play more than half the games. Yeah, I think that that, that feels like a Luca decision to me, right? Whatever he whatever yes. he says will go with uh, Chris Stapps, Porzingis. You raise a really good point on the Horford thing with the um, getting a, a pick ba- or trading first round picks and getting that pick back um, because it does in a lot of ways. Like when we talk about a Lillard trade or a Beal trade, or um, you know, it, it kind of feels to me more like in the Lillard trade scenario, like Bam for Lillard or whatever. Like if that's the centerpiece of your trade. Does it really make that much sense to Portland? Like, what are you doing with Bam as your guy? I mean, maybe he emerges as a guy who is like your guy long-term. But to me, you need to have the picks to throw in, right? Because it's if you're taking Lillard away from Portland, you're sending Portland into a rebuild. And by the time they are back in contention, like, Bam might be gone back from there. Like, you've got to have those picks, I think, to make one of those types of deals happen. Now, like, you know, we've, you've mentioned Kawhi a couple of times, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen, that uh, Kawhi is going to want to be traded or going to want Paul George to be traded. Like that's the kind of deal you can maybe swap BAM for and you don't need to throw the picks in because they're in total win now mode. But the disgruntled superstar is more often a guy from a team that is getting ready to rebuild. And that is the problem that the Heat faces right now without those picks to trade is if you give – Bam to Washington. What is Washington like? And they have no picks. Like, is Bam and Russ Westbrook moving the needle? Probably not. Like, if you give Bam to, I don't know, actually, maybe Bam to Minnesota would would make a little bit of sense. But I don't think you would trade him for Carl Towns, which is like four. Right, and he's not going to come here because of the relationship with Butler. Yeah, true, that too. But I'm just for, like there's, but for the most part, like if you're giving Bam to a team and trying to get a superstar back, you got to have some of those picks probably to throw in or to swap in for Bam because what are those teams getting? They're, they're trying to rebuild. And and I think getting those picks, it's almost worth like 
taking Orford back because it, it gives you that extra flexibility. That's the piece of flexibility that this team is missing now and has been missing um, basically since they went and got Jimmy Butler. Right. And that, of course, would all be predicated on Sam Presti being willing right. to get the heat back. It's 2023 first rounder. I asked Pat Riley on the call last week, for those who didn't see this, I said, do you and Sam Presti have an understanding of what Oklahoma City would want from you for them to agree for you to lift the protections on the 2023 pick? And it's funny, even though the Heat would be doing OKC a favor by saying you can have our 2023 first rounder, even if it's in the lottery, still precedent is that OKC would be in position to still ask the Heat. Yeah, leverage. Right. Even though the Heat's doing them a favor. So I was a little surprised that Riley said that he and Presti do not have an understanding on this issue. I would have thought that that would have been something that maybe they would know by now. Okay, here's what Oklahoma City would want from us to lift the protections on this pick. And for those who don't understand why we're talking about this as an issue, the reason this is important is NBA teams cannot trade picks in consecutive years. So because, at least before the draft, right? because of the fact that the Heat first rounder in 2023 do OKC is lottery protected in 2023, 2024, and 2025, that means the Heat now is in no position to trade any first round pick, they're simply not allowed to do it until August. In August, they can trade a first round pick late this decade because you can only trade picks seven years out. So that's why it's important that the Heat has an understanding of what OKC would want in exchange for unlocking that pick. Because if you unlock the 2023 pick, that immediately makes the Heat able to trade first rounders in 2025 and 2027 for a Beal or somebody else. I think what's clear now, David, is that uh, you know, we, we shouldn't kid ourselves. The Heat does not have the assets to acquire a star player right. uh, if Bam is not included because we know that Hero, at least to this, to this point, has not become another Devin Booker, which was the hope, and he's only 21, so there's certainly time, and they don't have the draft pick. So at this point, it'd be delusional to think you're going to be in the running for a star player. The only way you get one is either if you have cap space if you're the Heat or – if the player during free agency or at the start of free agency tells their team, I want to be in Miami, you trade me there, just like Butler did. At this point, with their lack of assets, that's the Heat's only chance. Yeah. So uh, before we finish up here, do you have a prediction? If you had to guess, what do you think the Heat is? Do you think they go with the room and get Kyle Lowry, or do you think they uh, go capped out? I think – there's a good chance Lowry ends up here. Which course they go depends entirely on whether Toronto is willing to do a sign and trade either yeah. involving Kendrick Nunn, which none would have to be willing to as mm-hmm. well since he's a restricted free agent, or if they're willing to take the Dragic or Iggy contracts just to accommodate Lowry. I'm not sure they will, but I think the likelihood is that Lowry ends up here, whether it's with cap space or, or whether it's operating over the cap. Well, it will at least be interesting, as uh, I think Pat Riley concluded that news conference saying, what, have a good summer. There will be a lot of news, and uh, I, I feel yes. the same way. <laughs> Barry, uh, thanks uh, for coming on you. this week. I uh, really appreciate it. I'll have to get you back on uh, later this summer, or maybe you'll fill in for me at some point when I take vacation, and uh, you can come on with Anthony. Uh, you can check out, uh, as I mentioned a couple of times, Barry's uh, off-season preview, I guess I will put it. Um, over at MiamiHerald.com, obviously, uh, lots of heat stuff. Uh, even though we're in a, a little bit of a, a dead time as the NBA playoffs are going on, a lot of heat stuff over the last couple of weeks between uh, Riley's 
uh, press conference and, and some of the stuff Barry has this week. Um, Barry, thanks again. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter. What are you at? FLA Sports Buzz? Is that the indeed? Uh, there we yes. go. And good being with you this week, David. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Barry. Uh, appreciate it. And I uh, will have to talk to you later.